Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest. This is the Tuesday edition where we get a chance to talk with you about the Bible and its relevance for today every Tuesday at 2. My name is Justin Dobbs. Really glad you're with us. Uh, and if you'd like to, you can go to BibleQuest.tv and you can uh, submit some questions or some comments to today's study, or you can go to YouTube and see us there. Today with us, we have Scott Smelser. How are you doing, Scott? Doing well. Good, I'm glad you're here with us. And we also have a, uh, a guest with us, Jeremy DeHutt uh, from Louisville, Kentucky. How are you doing, Jeremy? Doing good. Thanks for having me. <laughs> good. good. Um, I've known Jeremy, man, how long have I known Jeremy? Uh, a lifetime. 16 years. <laughs> Longer than I've known Jeremy. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy, Jeremy's a good, good friend of mine, um, but he's also my brother-in-law, so that, that accounts for something. Uh, I got the only DeHutt daughter. Uh, but Jeremy's here to, to talk with us about growing Christians and some of the challenges that uh, that we have growing in Christ, but also how to help other Christians to grow. So looking forward to that. Jeremy, what do you have for us? Yeah, well, just kind of thinking through um, the commission that Jesus gave to the apostles uh, towards the end, especially uh, Matthew, where he tells them to go and make disciples of every nation. And usually when we hear that commission, we zero in on, well, how does someone become a disciple? Like, what does that mean to make someone a disciple? Um, and that's a great question to ask. That's an important question to answer. Um, but there's more to helping someone become a disciple than just getting them into Christ. It's how do I become more like Christ for the rest of my life um, or in my discipleship? when I get stuck with habitual sin or things, baggage that I carry with me into my Christian life, what do I do with that? Um, and so there's so much to being a disciple than just the initial, I'm in Christ. So how do you help people with those things? I think it's super helpful with, you talking about the Great Commission, Matthew 28. I've often gone there to, to think about how does one become a Christian, you know, but he goes on to say, teaching them all things, yes. observe all things that I've commanded That's you. Right. That's just the beginning of this relationship. Um, it's difficult. <laughs> how do you, how do you uh, begin to help Christians to grow? So what have you found helpful? Well, there are a lot of things that we could look at. There's, there's a passage that I find really helpful, um, and it's over in Ephesians uh, chapter 4. And so when most people go to Ephesians chapter 4, they look at that pivotal verse uh, in verse one that kind of divides the whole book, um, the idea of walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And then you look at these attitudes that describe believers that are in Christ. And I would say those are unifying attitudes. And then he progresses through the text and gets to these seven truths, these unifying truths that disciples have in common. And then eventually he comes down and he describes these unifying gifts that Jesus has given to his church to help them develop the attitudes, adhere to the truths, and to mature in Christ, which is really the idea through that first half of the chapter. How do I mature in Christ and become more like him? And those gifts in verse 11 are apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And so you have these roles within the church that are being filled, these men that are ministering the word of God to people, and when those roles are being filled, you have these gifts that are being applied to your life to help you understand what it looks like to become more like Christ. Um, and I think you see that process spelled out in more detail in the last half of the chapter. But 
uh, the first thing would be in that verse, you know, which of these roles, which of these gifts are you applying in your life if you are in Christ? You know, are you submitting to the teaching of the apostles? Are you listening to the prophecies that have been revealed to us? Are you responding to an evangelist as he faithfully proclaims the word of God? Um, are you submitting? Are you under an eldership? Are you under shepherds that are keeping watch for your soul? Um, do you have biblical teachers in your life that are helping you put these pieces together? Um, you know, growing to be more like Jesus doesn't happen automatically. Um, we need help and we need instruction. Each of the three of us, uh, we, we work as evangelists. And like you said, to start off with, I've often thought uh, that evangelism is seeking and saving the lost. Uh, we bring the good news. Yeah. But the, the point here in Ephesians 4, uh, I think I've read this passage hundreds of times in my life and then just recently began to appreciate that, like you're saying, the, the gift of evangelism, you know, the work of evangelists doesn't end when someone becomes a Christian. You know, they're, they're there to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ there in verse 12. And, and the aim is maturity in verse 13. Um, mm -hmm. Scott, is this sounding familiar? I mean, this is the kind of thing that you run into as an evangelist. Oh, I was just looking uh, just then at uh, reviewing the Greek on it um, and just going to make a side small point. But go ahead, because this is just a very small point. I want to keep the main thought in mind. <laughs> Yeah, just, just appreciating that uh, there's so much work that needs to continue to happen after we're brought into Christ. And of course, Ephesians is written not to unbelievers. He's going to talk about putting off the old man. He's talking to believers who still have, like you said, all these habitual sins, the baggage uh, of suffering, uh, whether we're sinning or being sinned against. And they have to learn to to change and to grow and to be transformed. So there's there's a ton of work still to do. And it's the difference between Paul's work at Corinth the first time and then his letters uh, some years later. Uh, right. And part of the problem was, I can't speak to you as mature, but under babes. Right. Uh, it, it, the Hebrew writer similarly says, by now you guys should be teachers. And it's almost like you need somebody to go back and go over the first principles. And so when a baby is born, uh, so... Uh, I know of a newborn baby that was born just just last week, Jeremy, while we were over it. Uh, That's right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't think those parents are just setting the baby aside now and say, phew, that was good. It was it's born. We're done now. <laughs> and, and same with when a person comes to Christ, you know, getting them baptized is, is the beginning of their new life. It's not move on. And so Paul, yeah. he continues with the Philippians who are growing really well. And he's having to continue with his problem children, the Corinthians, who are not doing real well. Maybe, and Jeremy, I know you and I have talked about this a lot. Maybe my idea has been so skewed because I've thought about salvation is the goal, to be saved. Right. Um, but then the passage like 2 Timothy 3 comes in mind where he talks about being wise unto salvation. And, and there's a whole way of living in a wise way that comes after being saved. So I'm saved, but for what purpose? And there's this, this purpose-filled living that Ephesians points us to. So, but that you're just, you're just kind of... 
sorry about that. Um, even going earlier in the Ephesian epistle, chapter two, we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. Like salvation, you know, being right with God through Christ was not the end goal. Um, there's more to it where we're being made whole in Christ, where we better reflect him and we share his character more and more and more. Um, you know, what he says in chapter four, when he gets to the very practical side of the chapter and he kind of rebukes the Ephesians uh, by saying, hey, now that you're in Jesus, you can't stay the way you used to be. You can't keep living like the Gentiles live. And a phrase that he uses in verse 20 is, that's not the way you learned Jesus. You know, learning Jesus obviously leads to salvation, but it also affects your daily life and your character as you follow him closer. Um, and so, yeah, being struck with that and the earlier and younger that evangelists can appreciate that, the better everyone will be. Um, but it's usually when the wheels start to come off in the life of a disciple that they really that they realize, hey, there's got to be more. Uh, yeah. There just there has to be more. I've got this broken relationship that just is not getting better, or my marriage is falling apart, or I think I'm parenting, um, but my kids are totally out of control and we're just fighting all the time. Like there has to be more. And uh, thankfully, in the gospel of Jesus, there is, um, yeah. you know, we, he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Um, and we need to do a better job applying the particulars. And I think that whole idea of learning Christ in verse 20, it's not just about learning the facts of Jesus' life. It's learning about um, who he is and why he did what he did and the abundant grace and mercy that comes through him. And knowing that aspect of Christ is what motivates all of that change. Like we're not in the business of behavioral change. Like this is not a, a you know, 10 tricks to improving your life. Uh, we're talking about somebody who's submitting to the Lordship of Jesus in every aspect of their life. And that's going to produce a certain kind of fruit. Yeah. Thinking about the, the kinds of problems you mentioned, Jeremy, um, because talk about the wheels coming off I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about the way that i often want to live my life i want to just i want to avoid pain i want to avoid trouble i want to go day to day just enjoying life you're talking about a more purpose-filled kind of living though there's a job god's given me to do um what kind of problems are you talking about then when you say when the, the wheels come off like we don't sense that i have i don't usually sense i have a spiritual problem until there's some kind of day-to-day -day thing that breaks down so when someone comes or you or maybe someone doesn't come to you for help maybe you see someone else you see someone else is struggling you go to them what kinds of things do you notice you say i need to step in and, and see if i can come alongside them and help them yeah, maybe Galatians 6 would be instructive here when he talks about, you know, you who are spiritual, go in and uh, address them with a spirit of gentleness. You see this brother who's caught in a sin, you know, somebody who is stuck with some kind of habitual sin. They're, they're in a rut. They're having a hard time breaking free from a habit. And it may involve um, their language. It may involve their finances. It may involve some kind of sexual sin that they just keep going back to and keep going back to. In our culture, it's really easy to see that in the, uh, the trial of pornography where someone gets so caught up in that and it just becomes a, a habitual thing um, where they either recognize it 
and they're desperate and asking for help because they have tried on their own to make changes and it's not productive or you become aware of it and because of your awareness of it and you realize it's ongoing that that they need assistance um and a great example of that is over in acts chapter six i've been studying acts with my preteen daughter and uh, a month or two ago we went through acts chapter six and in acts chapter six you have the the church the new church in jerusalem that has been growing by leaps and bounds you have thousands of people coming to christ but by the time you get to chapter six you realize that there are these individuals that have brought their prejudice and their racism in with them where you have a subset of widows that are being neglected and it seems like intentionally neglected in the daily distribution in order to provide for their needs and the, the apostles this church family gets involved and tries to figure out how do we assist and address this problem um i really love the phrases that are used in that text where the apostles emphasize the importance of the ministry of the word we don't want to we don't want to sidetrack or distract from the work of ministering the word to people's lives right and they end up finding a really uh brilliant solution and finding people to address the problem uh, that end up meeting the needs of these widows but it brings the whole thing to the surface where they're able to address it but that phrase in the whole thing of ministering the word is what we're about right where we're bringing the word to bear on daily life and daily problems and so that could include a failed marriage that could include unfaithfulness that could include addictive behaviors that can include any number of things there's a spiritual component to all of that um maybe one that's a little less charged a little less emotionally charged um chronic illness how do i spiritually and emotionally serve someone who's a who's facing chronic illness where it's just apparent this is not going to get better but there's something that they need help processing and putting God into their view as they work through their their health failing. Um, Justin. Justin, you had something. Yeah, it was mentioning chronic illness. Um, that's a physical problem, right? I mean, that's right. That's something. So if I've got chronic illness, I go to the doctor and I get help from him, and maybe it helps me or it doesn't help me. And maybe it says you've got so long to live or you've got this condition, but you're saying that as a Christian, I need something else. I need something more than just the physical help that a medical provider might, might give. Yeah. And it's not a matter of, I need a substitute. I'm not saying you need a substitute for, to a physical doctor. But what I am saying is there's a spiritual component to the physical life that you're living. And so keep going to your doctor. You know, if there's a medical need that you need addressed, get that met by the medical professional. But at the same time, are you taking care of your soul? Spiritually, how are you processing that physical reality? Um, are you keeping God in view? You know, what about eternity? What about the final judgment? What about the sovereignty of God being at work in all of this? Uh, what about glorifying God through this? What about how can I be joyful in difficult circumstances? Uh, you've got the whole book of Philippians to help you with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so bringing the word of God to bear, ministering the word to people in all kinds of difficulties of life. Um, I love years ago, I was at a, at a convention uh, trying to figure out how to help people with the word of God. And I loved the title of one of the classes. I thought this, I want to hear what this guy has to say. 
And the title of his class was Ministering Lamentations in Chronic Illness. Yeah. I was like, that's perfect. That, that is perfect. So it made me start to think, how would I use all of the books of the Bible in different circumstances? How would I minister the book of Philippians? How would I minister the book of Colossians? How would I minister Genesis or especially the wisdom literature? How would I minister the Psalms and the Proverbs in these different circumstances? And so as you're reading through, looking for that, because that's part of what it's there for, um, it was just a new way to appreciate the the wisdom of God to daily life. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's huge. Now, Scott, real quick, you had something. Yeah, two two scriptures and two illustrations. Uh, you have Job, where mm. his physical ailment was only part of it because just everything was going wrong for Job. Uh, but you see from his friends what not to do. You know, that's not, yeah, that's not the way to help your brother going through this. Uh, you see from Paul when he talks about his thorn in the flesh, and he did the right thing. He took his prayer and supplication to God? And the answer was no. Uh, you've been given my grace. You know, Paul, the chiefest of sinners, has eternal life, and that's enough. There's a purpose in this, and, and you're going to keep this. And then that that helped him, and, and he saw the benefit in it. Now, we're not always going to see the benefit in illness, and illness and sickness and death is part of this life, but it makes a big difference how we approach it uh, spiritually. Uh, I remember being with a friend who was suffering from a horrible chronic disease, but I'd, I'd be around helping him uh, some, and sometimes I'd see the way he would just speak with other people because in all the pain and misery he was in, I, I probably wouldn't be as patient as he was lots of times. But you started seeing the impatience and like in the hospital and just the way he's speaking to the people that are helping him, there was no thank you. There was no kindness. It was just demands. And, you know, even while we're going through pain and suffering, remember to thank the people who yeah. are spending hours and hours there watching you, caring for you day by day, month by month, year by year. The fact that you need it doesn't mean that you shouldn't show appreciation. Like when we go to God, make your supplication with thanksgiving. So if you need to buzz the nurse again for the sixth time, you know, because you're uncomfortable about something, when she comes, say thank you. Um, when my mom was dying with a terminal illness, uh, she spent the last, and, and she guessed the time about right. As things are getting toward the end, she asked the doctor, said, what do I probably have, about six weeks? And he said, yeah. And she went into hospice, and during those six weeks, we would go down, and other people would go down, and uh, people would fly in to see her. People would from other countries were contacting her. I, and I would go there and I think we're trying to help mom. And then I realized I told my daughter on the way down one day, we think we're going there to help her. You know, she's helping us. She had showed mm -hmm. us to live and then she was showing us how to die. She was still helping people. She was writing letters. She was such a good example during those six weeks. It was a wonderful six weeks. It makes a difference how our attitude. Just thinking about saying thank you and being grateful and you know the the things that we know we should do 
And then we get in those moments and we're under this pressure, uh, we're suffering, uh, and I don't feel like it. But but Jeremy, you're, you're saying that there's a, a gospel-centered basis. Uh, you said we're not just trying to change our behavior. Um, there's there's something that should happen on the inside of us that sh that should lead to gratitude. So if here I am a Christian, I'm suffering, and I'm not responding with, I mean, okay, proper lamentation, grief. I, mean, I feel like there's a question that I'm trying to ask, but like, how do I go through that and I, I come out in a godly response, rather than a self-centered, uh, you know, pity. Yeah. So maybe this will touch on what you're asking. Uh, maybe not. And if it doesn't, we'll go down that road too. Um, as we go through things, as we go through trials, as we face temptations, all of those things, whether it's internal or external to ourselves, um, how we respond reveals what we think about things and what we value. Yes. And I can have a professed value, but it's not until I go through things that you see my actual set of priorities and the what that reveals is this this dynamic and it goes back to the whole gospel thing that sin sin has broken my relationship with god and so salvation focuses on you know through the gospel of jesus christ and through his atoning sacrifice and being baptized in him uh, faith being a part of all of that 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 broken relationship is restored okay but I don't think we emphasize enough that sin also breaks the way that I think about things. Sin breaks the way that I feel about things. And so being, being made whole in Christ, being remade in his image, isn't just about, it is primarily about my relationship with God. But it's also about the restoration of the way that I think, and the way that I feel, and the way that I process and it's when I go through those trials, when I go through those temptations, that that brokenness is revealed and the ministry of the word, the ministry of the gospel, if I submit to it, helps make it whole. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. makes a lot of sense. So so here, and I've not suffered chronic illness, um, but there have, been, there have been different things in my life that just have stayed, you know, broken relationships that I want to mend but I, you know, as much as it depends on you, right? Be at peace with all men. Sure. And so, how do I how do I deal with that? And I've got to think of those things in a new way. I've got to think about them not in a self focused way, but in a a God focused way, and and find a reason to rejoice in the Lord, to go to Him with my my sorrows. Um, yeah, it's Ephesians four talks about that, where there are deceitful desires, th these sins that corrupted my thinking. My thinking needs to now be renewed in my mind. So, um, yeah, both Ephesians and Colossians talks about the yeah. renewal of your mind in Christ, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so the way that I process and think about those things is, is a huge difference. Scott, so in both Ephesians and Colossians, at, at let's take Ephesians after this text, beginning with where Jeremy Jeremy started us off, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Uh, but we're changing our walk. So when the person mm -hmm. comes to Christ, they had been walking in sin, walking in selfishness, walking as Gentiles. And now we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We got to walk differently. But learning to walk differently, you need some practice to get better at it. Simon the sorcerer, he's walking this way. And then he's convinced, he says, I'm going to walk that way. 
and then very quickly he falls right back in a rut. It's we create ruts when we keep going down a path. And the longer we go down a path, the deeper that rut gets. If you've ever been stuck, you know, in the mud and you're spinning the wheels and it's, it, you're not getting out, you're digging the rut deeper. Um, and so it's easy to reverse and fall back into ruts. The, the Israelites, you know, they're whining about bondage in Egypt. They're delivered and then they're, they're wanting to go back. So this challenge to keep moving. So in Ephesians, after this text, he's reminding them not to walk like the Gentiles do. Walk worthy, not like they did. And he goes through a number of specifics. You know, instead of lying yeah. to the truth, instead of stealing, work and make money and actually share with other people instead of taking. Um, he deals with sexual things. He deals with uh, mental attitudes, all sorts of things. Put off the old, put on the new. And that's what we've got. And the more we walk in the light, the more we get in that group. But the new babe, it, it, it he's going to have often a little bit more trouble because he's so freshly reversing direction, Jeremy. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with all of that. That's the dynamic, especially in, in chapter four, where he says, put off, put on, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And so those four concrete examples of change have uh, a thinking, a mindset that is being corrected within each of the examples. It's not just behaviorism. Like, there's, there's a change that needs to take place on the inside of you. And one of the things that I've come to appreciate the longer I've served the Lord in this way and tried to apply it in my life more goes back to those gifts that we started with earlier in the chapter because i'm tempted when i'm facing something whether it's a trial or a temptation i'm tempted to keep that as private as possible to involve as few people as possible to reach out for help at the very last minute because i want to do it on my own but the truth is god has provided a variety of people in a variety of roles to help make you successful in your discipleship. And so I've become more and more convinced that when people come asking for help, we're going to engage a whole team of disciples to try to help them get out of that rut. You know, do you have elders in your life? They need to know what's going on. You know, do you have a close friend that's trusted, a disciple that's trusted that may be ahead of you in life's journey that we can pull alongside you? You know, I'm happy to be involved. Can we build a team of five, six, seven people to help you with this? Because God's provided that, especially in the context of a local church family. That's one of the benefits of having a local church family is everyone is trying to help everyone grow to be more like Christ and get to heaven. So don't try to do this on your own. Take full advantage of the rich resources and gifts God has given disciples to be more like Jesus. So on one hand, you know, if I've got a problem, I need to initiate and, and seek help, or someone else needs to initiate and provide help and build this team like you're talking about. But but there's a second component. I'm, I'm thinking about the the trouble that that could be. Um, you ever seen someone in trouble and someone goes to give them advice and it's bad advice, it's bad yes. counsel. Uh, and the world is full of would-be counselors, whether it's on Reddit or Facebook or social media, Twitter, uh, or just people who go, like, uh, I keep getting ads 
for um, some kind of better therapy or something. I don't know if that's the right thing out there, but like you you go online, you have an online therapist who talks with you every week about your problems. And if you don't like that therapist after a while, then you can switch to another therapist who will kind of, it's almost like eHarmony.com for therapists. Like you find one that matches you on so mm -hmm. many levels. And then you find one you like and you get to talk with them every week. Um, and it's kind of self-focused therapy. But but what we're looking at here is there's this God-given purpose and this design that I have as his new child. Uh, I don't want to give people bad counsel. I don't want to give them bad advice. Um, thoughts about that, Scott? Well, Proverbs says in a multitude of counselors, there is wisdom. So coming back to Jeremy, if somebody's reaching out, if they're talking with their elders, if they're talking with a good friend, if they're talking with a brother, if they're wrestling with something and they know a brother that used to have that problem, not the brother that still has that problem, right. the guy to help you. You know, if, if you're drowning, don't expect the guy beside you that's drowning to save you. You know, you're, you're, you're going down together. Uh, but in a multitude of counselors, there is wisdom. And that's one reason why we need to be careful when we're appointing elders and take that seriously. It's not just the guy who's been successful in business and runs a business. Then you got a guy who wants to run the church like a business. Um, look for real character. And hopefully that will be good advice. But if you have more than one source, that that's helpful. Yeah. And let me say this also. Uh, go, go ahead, Jeremy. And I'm, I want to come back. And oh, no, you finish your thought. Go ahead. No, no, no. I want to switch over to givers and takers in a minute. But go ahead with what you were going to say. I'll get to that later. Yeah. So going to Justin and, and what he was asking about, you know, so how do you find someone? Like, do you just choose anybody? Um, and I think there needs to be some some wisdom and some discretion and who you're reaching out to. Like, you would like to assume that if you're in a congregation that has uh, men that are qualified to serve as shepherds, like that is, they are inherently people that would serve you in that way and be more equipped than the average person or have more experience or be humble enough to say, I want to help, but I'm not sure how, let's figure it out together, right? Um, but whoever you're reaching out to, I, I would go back to Acts chapter six if you're looking for spiritual biblical help, they're going to minister the word. Like as, as they reason with you and talk with you, are their Bibles open going to what God actually has to say? Or are they just spitting out their personal experiences or think so's or whatever else? Yep. Um, if you're looking for spiritual help as you renew your thinking and change your emotions to align with God's, then you want someone who's going to lean on what God says. Amen. Um, and I've seen people who rely on other things more, even though the word is important to them, whenever they're trying to convince somebody or show which way to go, it's, it's always an analogy instead of scripture. I shouldn't say always, but you know, illustrations don't prove anything. We need to yes. prove things with the word of God. Then if an illustration yes. helps illuminate that, fine, or clarify it, but we need to go to the word. That's right, Dustin. Or, or I've just I've seen a lot of people who go to the professionals. Oh yeah, they go to uh, oh, a worldly person, and and part of it may go back to what you're saying, Jeremy. Where um, I want to do it myself. I don't want to involve my brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe partly out of shame. Um, yeah. 
I'm not open about the fact that I, I'm caught in sin or I'm struggling with these habits, um, or I may not even see it as a spiritual problem um, because it may just be, well, I've got these relationships or I've got these financial issues or I'm worried or stressed or anxious. And well, you know, God is about sin. And I don't see the connection that learning Christ actually challenges and reshapes all these other areas of my life. My, my spiritual relationship with Christ can't be boxed in. And so I, I've seen people go to worldly counselors. Uh, and I'm thinking of like 2 Timothy 3, we mentioned verse 15, being wise unto salvation for all scriptures inspired and profitable. It makes us thoroughly equipped for every good work. We're Psalm 19 that says the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And so, amen to everything you're saying, that there's, there's this deep need that we as humans have for hearing the word of our creator. And if we're not being sustained through the word that gives life, then we're being propped up by these things that, that are not going to hold us and eventually will fail. Jeremy? Yeah, just a couple of things and make sure I'm being fair and balanced. I mean, if someone has a medical need, then we need to talk to a doctor and right. let's also address the, the spiritual side of that. If someone is struggling with their finances and being a good steward of their finances, then let's bring a brother in that is uh, that shows some talent and skill with finances that may be a financial planner or whoever else and help them work alongside them. Um, someone wants that's got evicted. He's not the one to help them. That's right. Um, someone once said, every decision is a spiritual decision. I think there's some truth to that. Every decision has a spiritual component might be a better way to say that. Um, so let's bring in the people that do speak to the physical side of what may be going on, but let's address the spiritual side as well. Um, and the second thing, and then Scott, the second thing is through all of this, learning to respect people's free will. You know, as you reason with people and work with people and minister the word of God to people, um, they get to exercise their free will, which means there, there may be opportunities where they say, no, I don't want to follow Jesus more closely. And that does not mean that God's word has failed to work. Um, part of what God's word does, according to, to Hebrews, is it reveals you know, it pierces deeply in Ephesians chapter or Hebrews, Hebrews chapter four. It, it can do that surgery, but it's not going to make you follow Jesus apart from your decision to follow Jesus. Yeah. And so part of its job is to reveal where you are and what the condition of your heart is. But then you're going to have to choose whether you're going to, by faith, follow him or not. Right. Um, and so learning to respect people's free will is an important part of this process. Yeah, Jesus Jesus came as a teacher. He, he wants to conquer us uh, and teach us to submit because it's good for us. But he doesn't come in like demanding everybody in the world. He, he teaches us and tries to lead us, and, and we get to decide. Uh, so having a doctor or a financial advisor, but someone who's going to maybe, maybe base a lot of their counsel then on God's word um, mm -hmm. so as we take secular principles and try to make them sound like God's word. Um, but someone who's going to be able to, to give a godly perspective. Yeah. Uh, not Let's go over. Uh, Jeremy mentioned earlier Galatians 6, 1. There's a text before that. There's that text, another text after that, that I think are real valuable. Um, and what I want to emphasize in the next couple of minutes is one, 
we, we, we've emphasized that the new Christian is going to need help and people need to be there for him and need to be reaching out to people. We need to be, but what I'd like to emphasize now is that growth should come because we're talking about how to help people grow. And like Jeremy said, it's not just behaviorism. And so much of this, it's not just putting off the old. It doesn't do any good to put off the old if you don't put on the new. So let's look at a couple of principles here from Galatians real quick. Um, back in chapter 516, he said, I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Then it lists the desires of the flesh and works of the flesh, which are things from sexual sin to idolatry, to strife, to jealousy, to anger, to uh, envy, orgies, drunkenness, etc. And then you have walking in the spirit, being led by the spirit, through to the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, on a given day, if you and I have been being kind to people, if we've been being faithful, if we've been being patient, if we've been using self-control, if we've had joy in the blessings that we've got, we've been acting out of love to other people and seeing them benefit, how prone are we to temptation that day? If somebody tries to get us to do something evil, it's it's not even tasty. It's not even in interesting. But on a day when you're doing all these other things, self-control doesn't seem very fun at all. It's like when you put um, two magnets together in a certain way and they just repel. The more you do with one, the less you're going to do with the other. So it's not just finding people to help you put off. It's putting on and so we need to move from takers to givers the new christian needs to do a lot of taking and throughout our lives we're going to need to do taking and as we get older physically you know no matter how independent you feel you are you're going to have to end up probably doing a lot of taking jeremy yeah and and to add another layer of dimension maybe to all of that is if you're going to be using the word of God to help people change, you're going to be getting at their heart because there are times where they may be going through the right motions, but for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, one of the examples that I've given is back when Anna was pregnant with our second son and really nauseous and all this other stuff, couldn't be around food, couldn't stand to be in the kitchen. And I came home one day and realized the kitchen was a wreck. And I went and started cleaning dishes. You know, so if someone had been looking in the window of the kitchen, you know, there's young Jeremy in his 20s, lovingly taking care of his wife, you know, washing the dishes because she can't be in there. But I can tell you, that's not what was going on in my heart. You know, my heart was, what's a, what a wreck. It's a, it's a wreck. I've been working so hard and I've got to come in here and clean these dishes. And uh, I was less than gracious, right? Had to address that and repent of that and apologize for that. And so what, what biblical advice and biblical counsel will do, it will address behavior and you should see a change. There yes. should be measurable change, right? But it's going to be getting at the heart of the behavior. Yeah. Why are you making these changes? Um, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? Yeah. Yeah, Scott. And back to Galatians 6. Now, it's a different Greek word, but I still want to make the point. In one verse, it says, bear one another's burden. Mm -hmm. And then in verse five, it says, each man will bear his own burden. 
and there are different records, and I'm sure there's some some distinctions to be made. But I like to think of say the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And mm-hmm. you know what? If you're if you're young and healthy in good shape, don't be expecting other people to carry your stuff. Bear your own burden. But there's a little old lady over there, and she can't. So you bear hers. So there are times when we need to be takers and let other people bear our burdens. But the point then is to grow. And I'd like to throw one point out there about how to help people to grow that I think is real valuable. Help them grow so that they grow from being primarily takers to primarily givers. That's growth. And one way to do that is take people with you to do stuff. Amen. It's not just going out to spread the gospel where it's good to go out by twos. There's all sorts of things. Uh, and Paul already had two when he saw Timothy and wanted to take him. Well, that helped Paul, but how much did that help Timothy? So when there's, you need to go encourage somebody. Ask another brother to go with you. You know, there, there's a widow and she needs her lawn raked or, or something, something or prayer. Ask another brother to go do it with you. Uh, you're going to set up a Bible study in your home. Get get a couple other brothers, or, or at McDonald's, that's even better, or, or, or your co- favorite coffee shop or whatever. Uh, do it there and get two or three brothers or sisters. And you know what? If nobody sits down with you, if nobody comes, you guys get to study together and grow. But you're out in public and you may reach other people. The more you get new Christians involved and people who've been Christians a long time, the more we start doing spirit-led good things together, things of joy, self-control, goodness, faithfulness. And a lot of those other problems start losing their power. And kind of to bring it full circle, they're becoming more like Christ because that's what Christ would do. Christ would give and Christ would serve and Christ would sacrifice for others. And you see that all through the epistles. I mean, especially Paul, as he strives to become more like Christ, and he's willing to fulfill the sufferings of Christ and all these other things. Um, And so to help people move in that direction in their discipleship, where even in the midst of the difficulty of serving, because there's some aspects of serving and some opportunities to serve that are not pleasant, that you are going to risk, uh, kind of like Epaphroditus over in Philippians chapter 2. you're going to learn to sacrifice to serve other people. So it sounds like, I mean, this is, we talk about the gifts in Ephesians for the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. But then the verse goes on to say that every saint should be doing this kind of work. And so each of us, you know, wherever I am in the community of believers in the, in the church where I, I'm, a member, um, I've got a role to play. And so I need to be aware. I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, prayer requests and announcements, you know, and so-and-so is dealing with sickness and so-and-so is dealing with change of job or whatever, rather than you know, help, helping them, you know, like the food in Acts 6, you know, there are physical needs to tend to, but how can I then as an individual Christian be aware of their spiritual needs and help to minister the word? And that's, that's, too big a job to be left to just a few people. Each of us is, is a part in that growth. And maybe maybe I'd be better equipped for that if I were humble and received that growth. So you're talking about taking and giving. That's just a continual process. I don't know when I'm ever going to outgrow the need to receive help from other growing Christians. So if I were more humble 
I'd be better equipped to give help to other people. Um, all right, we've got just a few minutes here. Jeremy, anything you want to close us off with? It just threw me into Second uh, Corinthians um, in the first chapter. You know, he talks about comfort so many times in there. And I understand contextually he's talking about the comfort that comes through the gospel, right? But the principle is still the same, that whatever comfort you have received, you are able to comfort others also. And, and it just, it's this never-ending cycle until Jesus comes back, where you have people that are coming to Christ, they're becoming disciples, they're hopefully growing and maturing in their discipleship, and they learn to make disciples as well. And so God has blessed his church with these roles in Ephesians 4, but everyone who ever serves in those roles should understand that they're disposable, and the goal is to replicate themselves so that others will grow up into those roles to do the same thing, to bring more and more people to maturity in Christ. Yeah. Scott? And the more we give and give and give, we're still on spiritual welfare. We're charity cases. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And uh, That's right. maybe we can close with a reminder of this song. There is a sea. Uh, here you've got the Sea of Galilee. Here you've got the Jordan River. Here you've got the Dead Sea. Verse 1 it describes the Sea of Galilee. There's a sea that receives from God all this, and then it passes on, which brings, you know, irrigation and water down to other communities down the road. But then there's another sea. All it takes, it, 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 it doesn't give anything. And it's dead. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't know that, yeah. uh, you know, is the title, There is a Sea. So that's yeah. the first phrase of it. Um, Verse one is Sea of Galilee that takes and gives. So, so who am I going to be? It's the Dead Sea. All it does is take. And, yeah. you know, the, the name of the sea is, connotes what it is. And then verse three is which shall be for you and me who God's good gifts of take. Shall we accept for self alone or take to give again? Well, I think that's about all the time we have for today's discussion. I wish we could do this some more. There's a lot more to be said in some particular ways we could help in particular situations. So I'd love to maybe have this conversation again in the future. Uh, but Jeremy, thanks for joining us today and talking about how to help Christians grow. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for uh, and thanks for joining us today. Uh, if you found today's discussion and study of God's word helpful to you, I hope you'll pass it along to other people. Send us your questions or comments at BibleQuest.tv. Until next week.